When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the Fed's next move? Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, September 19, 2023. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by TG, Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator. Tony, always great to be with you, man. Stoked to be back. Oh, it's so good to have you back, Slash. How you doing? All right? I've been doing great, man. I've been doing great. Hanging out in crypto land, doing some deep dives. Awesome. Before we move on, I have to send a lot of uh, really, really warm greetings from the Beaver Creek Precious Metal Summit because there are so many fans of yours out there that I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that for them online. Okay. Oh, that's awesome to hear, man. I wish I could have made it out this year. Yeah, maybe next year. We'll talk about it, but let's proceed, man. So let's proceed. Talking of which, we were talking just before we got on the air uh, here. We're looking at cycle highs on the 2 and the 10 on a yield basis. Let's just read through this real quick. On my screen right now, 10-year Treasury yielding uh, 4 spot 367. That's a cycle high. Uh, five, a two-year over 5%, uh, 5.099 right now on my screen, right ahead of the Fed meeting tomorrow. Really interesting, right? I mean, we've got yields pinned to the highs, despite the fact that we got a miss in housing starts this morning. Permits were a little better. And so I guess maybe that evened it out a little bit. But um, the inflation beast is not going away. And in my opinion, Ash, this move in bonds and treasuries, you know, just in the last several, you know, days, call it since the beginning of this week, last week. Um, has been due to just a resurgence of the commodity complex behind natural gas and oil. Right. If you look back over the last week, and I'm talking the last rolling week from today, natural gas is up 7%. WTI crude oil is up 3%, um, traded up to a really good resistance level at 93.5 and, and then backed off. Um, now, that was a straight line move basically from 77.5 to 93.5 at the highs. Right. What did it do alongside it? Platinum and gold miners were up 2% in the last week. Palladium, aluminum all woke up. XLU and XME up a percent in the last week. Bloomberg Commodities Index closes above its 200-day moving average. I mean, the fact is, is that the natural resources markets are not going away. And I think that's why rates are pinned to the highs. Yeah, you got to uh, take a little bit of victory lap. I saw there on Twitter at 93.5 on WTI. Yeah, well, that was just a natural chart point for me. But thank you for noticing, Ash, because we work hard on those things. Um, that was the objective from the moment um, we put the trade on and the breakout, the double top from October, November of last year at 93, 92, 90. Um, so this was a logical place to make a sale. There was some kind of a Fugazi comment on the tape this morning that was seemed to be maybe just a Finswit rumor rather than um, possibly a Biden administration rumored that they were going to make another SPR sale. Now that came out this morning with some um, legacy media sources attached to it, but nobody ever had the story. And it was interesting to see that despite that headline, which may have been perceived as negative, right? That's the SPR is what held oil down through the last five or six months. And suddenly we don't know if that's a real headline. Oil trades $2 higher to a new high. 
So in my opinion, you know, that's the kind of weak side in oil is that the market is noticing that incremental SPR sales mean that the SPR is getting closer to empty and therefore that's an incrementally bullish headline. So it's a really interesting and dynamic in crude oil right now. For me, the next couple of bucks may be down, but that's okay. The trend is intact, very well intact. Hey, Tony, talk about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, what it can do, and most important, perhaps, what it cannot do uh, in terms of offsetting energy prices uh, over longer time horizons. Yeah, well, that's what this SPR was set up for originally, you know, was to kind of prevent another 70s situation from happening where we're waiting on gas lines and things like that, right? That would be something strategic to use it for. Um, I think it's fair to say the Biden administration has strategically used it to keep gas prices down so it doesn't look like this huge pivot towards, you know, carbon neutrality isn't causing a huge stir in the fossil fuel markets, which it absolutely is because we know the ultimate source of that power is the fossil fuel markets. So um, what the SPR has been is drained from about 600 something million barrels to less than 300 million barrels at last sale, which gets it really, really depleted. Um, and I've also read that it's going to be extremely expensive to refill the SPR should we empty it to the bottom. So, you know, hanging on to those narratives, getting closer to zero barrels in the SPR or call it 100 million barrels, which is maybe a couple of days worth of, um, you know, oil. Right. I would imagine that, you know, incremental sales are going to be more and more bullish the price, but we'll see what happens. Well, that's exactly what I was alluding to, Tony. The fact that we're talking about uh, only a couple of days, essentially, of full supply, it can have a dampering effect, uh, I guess, at the margin. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is a relatively small stock relative to the demand side here in the U.S. Yep, absolutely, man. And that's what's forcing, you know, inventories are drawing down. They're kind of surfing at or below five-year average inventory levels across liquids, meaning oil, heating, um, oil, gasoline, and diesel fuel. So the market can see that. We've seen a recent spike in front month spreads. Just after we saw this run to the upside, it looks like um, a lot of trade and a lot of speculators probably bought front month. And then you had another follow-up where people got long time spreads rather than just buying front month crude oil, you know, up eight, nine, $10 off the recent low. So there's been quite a trade developing in that arena and we've got to keep a close eye on it to see how it develops through 93 and a half ash i have like 105 as my next resistance level so there's room on the upside yeah by the way i should add shameless plug here uh, but i think people may be interested obviously we're talking about this with you tony from the perspective of the trader you being the quintessential trader talking about this from a price level perspective two interesting shows where we've touched on some other points this week uh conversation between rick rule and tracy shukart earlier in the day uh today that i actually hosted uh, where they were talking about some of the factors that uh, tony and i may get into a little bit later today uh, which is just how long it takes to bring additional supply online. This isn't something uh, like an Amazon next day delivery for oil and gas. This is something that, uh, you know, the petroleum companies essentially have to plan out over 20, 30 year time horizons, very capital intensive, uh, long term projects. We talk about that. And I also had a conversation yesterday with Harris Kupperman, also known as Cuppy, uh, of course, uh, and Louis Gov, where we talked about, uh, in essence, uh, their thesis about how treasuries uh, may no longer become the world's reserve asset. This is the de-dollarization hypothesis that you've heard about on Real Vision before that some of our guests uh, have articulated. Uh, but they made this interesting point, Tony, uh, that maybe natural resources, maybe harder assets become kind of the the, the functional uh, 
glue behind the global economic and financial system as people are looking for a method uh, of having something that isn't going to be a subject to inflation uh, and perhaps the de-dollarization trade. I thought that was a really interesting point. I mean, when Luis Cave and Cuppy are sitting together in the same conversation, I can tell you my eyes and ears are peeled. Um, those are two of the best in the business, two of my favorites. And it sounds like they may have this view right. You know, it seems like that's where the, um, it seems like there's a lot of upside in hard assets right now. I mean, it's a microcosm of what we saw in the last, you know, week where hard assets really woke up. But what he discussed yeah. is like a next cycle thing for me where, you know, rates are much, much higher. The price of crude oil is much, much higher. Um, and then that's when you could probably see technology, you know, probably get beat up pretty good like it did at the beginning of last year. And that would lead to a scenario that they were describing. For me, that's like months to quarters down the road, if not quarters to years, but we'll see. Yeah, obviously a very different time horizon. And no matter how it shakes out, it's an interesting hypothesis, I think, to think about it because there is a real sort of intellectual heft behind the thinking. Uh, and it's part of this crash boom thesis that we're unpacking here on Real Vision. I have to ask you, uh, in relation to that, what are your thoughts on uranium, Tony? Is this something that you're following? It seems to be something that comes up uh, quite a great deal here at Real Vision. Yeah, there's a really interesting kind of shortage of uranium inventory right now. There's a scenario where the utilities are basically forced buyers at any price to make sure that they have uranium on um, reserve. And there's kind of a gap in between when the next bit of supply is coming on. So that is why you're seeing the uranium stocks break out in some style. I mean, the pennant chart in the uranium sector is a beautiful flat bottom and breakout once again through a pennant flag that looks like there's a lot of room to run. So that to me is the, um, to me, that's a great fade, the ESG net zero movement trade, because, you know, as we see the failure across, you know, the windmill sector, which Doomberg brilliantly discussed recently and failures of solar panel sector and things like that, you know, it looks more and more like fossil fuels are going to survive this and that hard assets are going to come back in favor. So that's the way we're looking at that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Rick Rule said something that I thought about you uh, with earlier today. He was talking about the $4 trillion that have been spent uh, predominantly on energy uh, generated from solar and wind uh, and said, look, and what did we get for our $4 trillion? Well, uh, the carbon neutral mix has shifted from 81% carbon-based to 80% carbon-based. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of that Joe Kennedy interview that's on Twitter where he's interviewing somebody, you know, that represents the, you know, the whole climate neutral movement, net zero movement in the administration. And he's saying, you know, what is that going to do to global temperatures if the U.S. spends $50 trillion? And the guy's like, listen, man, we got to get our act together. Like, I don't really know, but it's really important. that." And you're like, oh, my God, they just put this guy up there against a serious person. And that's where you see people making bets against climate, uh, against the whole net zero movement failing. It makes more, more than enough sense to me. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you've seen this. This literally just crossed here. I'm looking at BBC. This is eight minutes old. Uh, Rishi Sunak considers weakening key green policies. Uh, and I believe this is uh, this is a brand new story just crossing uh, about uh, not potentially meeting some of their, and I'm skimming as I read here, uh, as I speak rather. Uh, it looks like they're, they're potentially weakening their net zero carbon emissions commitment by 20 50 in a quote more proportionate way that sounds like they're 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 to a certain extent weakening or backing off those initial commitments i guess reality got, got in the it, way 
Yeah, it sounds like Alex Epstein's uh, voice is finally being heard around the world, and he's a pretty big proponent of a um, serious switch away from fossil fuel will mean um, several hundred million to billion people dying. So maybe something worth considering. Yeah, I mean, look, this is really about the time horizons here. I think everybody wants to see a world where we don't have carbon emissions. That'd be wonderful. Uh, but, you know, but how do you get there? What's the path look like? And, you know, we're not here to do philosophy or politics. We're here to do finance uh, and markets. And the reality is all of these policies, all of these headlines, all of these conversations have an impact on the price of these traded commodities. That's why we talk about it. Totally fair. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tony, here's a little, a little interesting glitch that I just saw. Oh, damn it, I lost the tab. But it looked like uh, the uh, 210s spread uh, was onched at about 75 basis points as the front end yield and the back end yields moved higher today. Both. The curve, yeah, the curve has been flat for like two weeks now. It's been minus 65 at minus 80 basis points, give or take. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that it's still buried at that depressed level is still means that there are going to be economic snowballs coming through the window. Just when you think, you know, that there's going to be liftoff in your sector or the S&P or whatever risk you have on. And that's going to snowball is going to come through the window and kind of temper the idea. Um, and that's what we continue to see. We saw the um, permit. I mean, the housing starts missed today. Um, we have seen several bits of weak data along the line, along the way. And that's what the inverted curve means. I would expect more of it, especially as it's becoming apparent that the curve can stay buried while um, yields continue to rise. Right. So I, I would guess that that's sort of a bare steepener that continues to be in effect at some level. So something to consider. That's why the equity market's very much swimming upstream right now. Yeah, I saw, I, I mean, I just love the phrases that we create in our business. There's a, a, a Bloomberg story talking about a hawkish hold. It's a hawkish hold tomorrow is priced into markets from the Fed. What will they think of next, Ash? <laughs> well, I know what I'll think of next, which is what I wanted to talk about uh, this conversation that I have with Tracy Shukart. We've got a great clip for you uh, talking about energy and commodities. Uh, this is from my conversation today with Rick Rule and Tracy Shukart. Let's take a look. The Fed looks at core inflation, which doesn't include anything you actually need, right? So like energy and food. So, um, but when we, you know, look at those markets, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're looking at higher for longer and that's just the way it is. You know, we are kind of out of these 40 year period of abundance and hitting an era of scarcity with higher rates right now. And that's going to affect every sector. Um, specifically natural resources, right? And if, if we just look at energy alone, really, you can't do anything without energy. You can't grow food, you can't live, you can't move anything. You, so um, I think that you, it, we're going to be, again, in this period where we're going to have higher inflation and the Fed's either going to raise rates 
to ridiculous heights <laughs> and break something in the economy, um, or they're gonna have to, again, uh, look at accepting higher higher inflation rates. Oh, great clip from Tracy's shoe chart there. Uh, I, I chuckled a little bit as she was teasing around at the beginning of that, talking about how essentially uh, the Fed only counts the inflation you don't care about. Uh, the joke here being that is, you know, the two of the biggest inputs that we deal with, of course, are fuel and energy prices on the one hand and uh, food prices on the other, which of course are not included uh, in, the, uh, in the core. Tony, let's uh, switch gears here and talk a little bit about stocks. What's your take on what's happening in the S&P? We were joking around. It's been a very quiet day. Uh, what's your take overall call big picture? Yeah, it, I, you know, as a technician, Ash, I don't um, jump into the bearish boat like I feel like um, the majority of people want to do right now with a bearish outlook on the economy. Um, I'm, I'm kind of staying on a fairly positive view of the markets. I think that, you know, technology can be propelled by more buying in what has become the religion of AI. Um, you know, and I get that feeling because NVIDIA is not trading like a bubble stock. You know, it's had its chances to reverse and collapse from that, you know, tremendous two quarters in a row that it just put up and it has not done so. Um, because people are still coming into that name and looking for other tangential plays in the AI space. And I've got a pretty bullish view on natural resources, which, you know, the oil market's proving itself that that can kind of run. Um, it seems like gold, the gold and gold miners are hanging in, things like that. Consumer discretionary names are hanging in so far. And as long as these sectors are riding above their moving averages, which most of them are now, and that's what kind of allows me to stay bullish. You know, the performance may not all be consistent, but it is there. And right now we're just seeing a situation where we've got a rotation where tech is pulling back a little bit and natural resources stuff is coming to life. So the kind of leadership dog race, as I call it on the year, the kind of lead is tightening where the leaders back off and the laggers catch up a little bit. And so I don't really get fatal on a pullback to, you know, an orderly pullback like this in the S&P. Volatility remains depressed. I think it probably remains depressed through the end of the year, barring a black swan event. And um, the fact that everybody is still completely negative on the stock market, if you ask me, I mean, I think CNN fear and greed is back to neutral. AA bull index is pulled back quite a bit. But in my opinion, there's a lot of bearishness out there and a neutral market, a stable curve and a couple of bull market scenarios like technology and energy and home builders that's a recipe for a higher S&P on the year. So I don't really give up the ghost on a bull picture in the S&P just yet. What would make you change your mind, Tony? What would you have to see? You know, if, if technology and big tech, like the stocks that are in the lead this year, you know, those big seven that have really been leading the uh, entire S&P, if those were spooked by higher yields, you know, if there is a, a swift rate of change higher in, like a severe dislocation lower in the bond market is essentially what would change my mind. If something like that starts happening and we start looking like we're going into like what is now the third year of negative bond yields and it kind of starts sliding into the end of the year where yields are firing higher, then I'd right. be concerned because under that scenario, people are going to wind up pitching their technology and then everything else that's hurting them on their pad, whether it's gold, silver, oil, consumer stocks, Facebook, social media, whatever it is, they're going to be selling it if rates are flying higher at a rapid pace. So that's really the risk that I see. And I wake up 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed every morning seeing if there's going to be a piece of data out that derails the bond market. And so far, it hasn't been the case. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Tony, Jim Bianco said something that made me chuckle yesterday about the Magnificent Seven stocks. He said, whenever you see a collection of stocks get a name, get nervous. It's like it's the yeah. nifty 50 all over again. Yeah, totally, totally fair. You know, totally fair. There's huge retail flow into it. We've seen the, uh, you know, the flow chart of sectors on the year. And it's just a big set of, you know, shark jaws where there's nothing but buying in technology inflows, nothing but outflows from, you know, energy, gold miners. And, you know, that's why we have a situation like we have now on the board where energy stocks are so unfavored. In the last week, crude oils rallied three and a half percent, traded a new high for the move. Energy stocks are down three to five percent, right? It just shows you that they're still not loved and nobody's chasing them into a uh, short cover spiral or anything like that. So it's going to take time before that ship turns around. Yeah. Tony, we got a ton of questions coming in. What do you say? Should we jump on some of these? Oh, dear. Let's go. Let's see what the people want to hear. All right. First one's from David H on YouTube. You're going to love this one. Can you ask Tony if his buddies in the fun community really are cash heavy or is that just a talking point? Great question. Thanks, David. Oh, yeah. I mean, across the number of consulting clients that I speak to, they're, you know, their arms are folded and their feet are up on the desk earning, you know, 4% in the treasury market, 5% in the treasury market. Yeah. Totally, totally willing to kind of wait this volatility out in the treasury market. You know, twos at 5, 10% is pretty, pretty appealing um, return idea right now with very little risk. So yeah, there are a lot of people, I think it's a very smart trade at the moment. And you know, maybe a little bit has come out to go chase this uh, AI religion and NVIDIA or something like that. But for the most part, man, there's cash on the sidelines for sure. Another great Jim Bianco line from yesterday. He was talking about uh, this period of there is no alternative is passed. He's like, well, now there is an alternative and you see money moving toward it. Get Jim on the daily briefing. Let's do uh, you, Jim, and I. Let's see what happens. Come on. Oh, that'd be fantastic. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. I want to take just, you up on that. Just spitballing. That's a great idea. Uh, okay, next one. Trillion X Macro from YouTube. Tony, what do you make of the uranium melt-up? We touched on this earlier. Uh, thoughts about the prices? You got to read Cuppy's uh, most recent write-up on it um, that, you know, where he discusses that it's basically just an air pocket of lack of inventory supply right now that's sending prices higher. You know, there was a clear breakout in spot uranium um, on the chart. And I don't want to say the wrong price because I know I'm referring to the ETF now in my mind. But you know, it's a sector that I think gets legs the more you read about ESG failures, you know, and, and it just happened to come alive when we had that story about the windmills catching fire and breaking down and things like that. And those are sort of narrative impulses to me, but it doesn't shock me that they coincide with an actual move in the sector. So, you know, the sector's been strong for the whole entire year. It's catching up to some of the technology sectors in performance. People are definitely getting more educated about it. And you got to be careful because some of the stocks are kind of thin and they fly all over the board. So while the breakout looks real and something that I would go with, you know, it gets stretched and it's going to be volatile along the way. So don't just go pay the highs for no reason. Well, it's interesting, Tony, because you touched on the cyclical factors there uh, and also some of the secular ones. Uh, look, I don't have a, you know, a, a preference in this. Uh, I don't know if a religious sort of choice here, uh, but the reality is if you're serious about carbon neutrality and you just look at the density of energy, the actual physics, uh, there really is right now only one choice that gets you there. And it looks to me like it's nuclear. And that has to be a tailwind for the space. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's also, it's only going to draw more investment capital as time goes on. I mean, this sector is the story for people that are looking for opportunities, you know, people that are in the stock market and say, man, there's nothing going on. Right. I mean, I, I vehemently disagree. You know, there are markets like that and the cannabis market that quietly doubled off of its low to its high, right? If you look at MSOS, the uh, US multi-state operators. So those are the two recent breakouts that are on my screen that are really, really tradable and worth watching very closely. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Tony, I got to ask you this question because I saw an article out from the AP yesterday uh, talking about psilocybin and MDMA potentially getting rescheduled by FDA to treat certain psychiatric illnesses. Uh, there's been a, just a huge amount of data in recent years talking about uh, particularly MDMA and psilocybin, uh, how they've been used to treat, and I know and this is in the case of MDMA especially, uh, soldiers who experienced uh, essentially post-traumatic stress disorder in combat. And the data on this is just extraordinary. I mean, it's it's showing results that we've just never seen from anything else. And I'm kind of wondering if you're following that as the, the next potential breakout sector or subsector. If you showed me how to trade it, if there was a ticker for, um, you know, mushrooms or MDMA that is going to get change schedule, I would consider trading it, you know, but it's a really difficult thing to track down. It's like harder to trade than palladium, uranium and lithium, right? If you can find something that is, you know, really levered to those prices, then dig in and trade it. You know, this is a great story, in my opinion, you know, it only leads to the possibility that, you know, like cannabis, that the product will become ubiquitous if it's something that's that helpful for the right yeah. people at the right time. And so, you know, you can only root for that thing. Eventually there'll be, you know, one big producer that shows up, you know, and the big mushroom and MDMA maker will probably be a bull right. market name, you know, at some point or, or well-received, but we'll see that, that that's how it's got to transpire for me to put a trade on. Sure. Follow the story. I think it's amazing. Yeah, listen, two points that are important to make. First of all, it's very early in the science here. Uh, this is not yet conclusive, but some of the evidence suggests suggests uh, that it could be a real breakout treatment. Secondly, there is an advisor shares psychedelics ETF that has just gotten blown out. I, I'm looking here. It looks like uh, this it listed publicly in 2021. It's off. It looks like some 80, 83% uh, from peak. So obviously, uh, not a not a positive return story for people who invested in that ETF. Yeah, that's stay away from that stuff. I mean, you know, who's going piling into a mushroom ETF? But anyway, yeah. All right, next uh, story comes to us from Jonas from Jonas from the Real Vision website. Uh, what would make Tony interested in the grains sector? Is there anything that would make you interested in the grain sector, Tony? I love the way that question was asked. Very open ended. You know, the more and more I get to know my farmer clientele, the harder it is to project the grain prices, if you ask me, right? So much of it has to do with variables that I am so far out of touch with, like the weather. And, right. you know, it's like the, the, the people that make money in that markets whom I've met are insiders, Right. And there are people that, you know, see the issues coming and can get long the contracts before word gets out that there are issues with, you know, one particular grain or something like that. So, I mean, I, I stay bullish grains in as a commodity bowl and a hard asset bowl and an ag bowl and certainly a, you know, food chain bowl. So, you know, I can stay bullish the grains. I can buy DBA. I have an investment in DBA in my long term account. 
I've traded in and out of it on the Navigator with some success, and uh, that's just the Ag ETF. And so I do believe in it, and I have no problem being long when I think that energy is the driver. And you know what you've seen lately is natural gas and and diesel fuel come to life, and so that's why the grain markets follow suit right away. You know the the what's really really difficult is we could be in for a scenario where eventually the you know energy markets keep going and the bottom falls out of the grain market and that is not risk that i'm comfortable with you know and, and i'm not going to be the one that sees that coming so while i can stay bullish that sector i kind of avoid it because it's really difficult for me to have an edge yeah i, I have a confession to make i've never understood how grains were priced i've never been right. strong on ag in general but i just just don't know it's really really difficult to understand like i said unless you're a hands-on farmer that right. sees you know, that sees the bushels and barrels going in and out. Forget it, man. It's really tough. I also find that, you know, for some reason, people who speculate uh, in that, it seems like that's all they do, right? Like that's just like their jam. They're like, look, I'm here for the grains market and I just don't do anything else. That's exactly right. You know, when you see, uh, when you're down on the floor in Chicago, you know, those guys are, are very, very focused locals. You know, they're not dabbling around in every commodity on the board. Like the wheat guys trade wheat, the cattle guys trade cattle, the hog guys trade hogs. Everybody's very true to what their uh, their business is. Boy, here's a great question from Aramis uh, from the Real Vision website, just what we were talking about earlier. I want to know, Tony, how high could you see oil going? I'm just going to be uh, a chartist at this point, and because that's been telling the absolute best story, you know, I couldn't get involved in oil until it finally did something on the upside, and when it started skipping through moving averages is when I was able to get involved. So those are the telegraphs for me. Now that she's in play, I think it's a brilliant place to make a sale here up against those October, November highs at around 93, because I quite honestly, from that price, I would have bet anybody that the next $10 in oil is down, right? So I think oil could probably trade as low as 83, 84 on a pullback. The reality is, with structural energy, structurally political energy inflation built into the equation right now, um, mm -hmm. wherever oil pulls back to or diesel fuel pulls back to, and I don't even think the, the pullback can be that steep, $10 necessarily, but if I had a bet, um, wherever it pulls back to somewhere in the moving averages, it is going to hold and rally again. When it gets through 93, I have 105 on my um, charts as the next resistance level. And I like to think big though, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily going to peak in oil. Everybody gets crazy that we have a potential recession ahead and that that's going to destroy demand. It don't work that way. I've been through, I've traded through recessions where oil and gas demand doesn't dip an iota. So let's see what happens when we get to that point, if we get to that point. And if we don't get to that point soon, it's going to be at 105 before you know it. So that's my view on oil. Tony, even when it's a slow news day in markets, it's always a great conversation with you. Well, we're staying focused here, man. You know, our our um, my sector is on the move, and that's when I spend the most amount of time at my desk, like any other trader, kind of making sure that you know all the known knowns that are going on, and you're kind of choreographing the next move. And that's what we do on the Navigator, Ash. So you'll find me here for the uh, for the duration of this year. I can tell. Final thoughts, key takeaways. I know we've covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, you know, I think no matter what you think about oil, um, no matter what you think about the commodity complex, it's important to understand that, you know, higher yields are going to affect the stock market. You know, um, I, I'm pretty sure that this energy bull market is going to be intact for a while. Um, you know, the, the SPR is going to be sort of the last 
the last chapter to play out that may hold it down. And then there's going to be a lot of bullish scenarios, I think, in the future. Um, but it's important to keep an eye on the fact that the curve remains buried. There's still snowballs coming through the window. Markets are not trending. We are still in this period of nonlinear chaos, no matter what trade you pick. And all trades can work, but they ain't going to go on forever in this kind of tape. So that's the way I'm looking at the tape and trading and uh, trying to make money in this market right now. I hear you saying there are opportunities out there, but be careful. We could get whiplash. Yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot to it, you know, and it's just kind of, you know, to me, that's just something, Ash, where, you know, when you're in a trade and it's working, you know, as soon as you look to high five somebody, make sure you make a sale, right? That's kind of how it still works. <laughs> Great trader advice. Tony Greer, always right. a pleasure to do this with you. Great show, man. Always a pleasure to be here, Ash. I can't wait till the next one. Me too. Hey, listen, last week we launched a special series right here on Real Vision that will run through this Friday. And Real Vision will be doing what we do best, bringing you the best experts to help us think through what's happening and how we can position ourselves for possible outcomes. Guests in this series will include Luke Groman, Michael Howell, Lizanne Saunders, Harris Kupperman, Cuppy, who I mentioned earlier, uh, Beth Kindig, Juliette DeClerc, David Rosenberg, and many, many more. Because this series is so important, we're opening Real Vision back up again ahead of the new platform launch. To celebrate the launch and to celebrate our ninth birthday, you can get one full month of Real Vision Essential for just $20.14 in honor, of course, of our founding year here at Real Vision 2014. Go to realvision.com forward slash crash boom. That's Real realvision.com forward slash crash boom to sign up. When you join us on this journey, you'll be skipping the queue to get access to our new Real Vision 2.0 platform. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Real Vision. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Have a great afternoon, everybody.